welcome to Wood Talk Online, proud to be sponsored by Nothing Wrong With Knitting. Now here are your hosts, Mark the Stitch Spagnolo and Matt the Pearl Vanderlis. Knit away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 53 for April 1st, 2009. I'm Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlist. And if you have any comments or questions about something that you hear today, or maybe something you haven't heard as of yet, you know what? You can get a hold of us by either dropping us an email at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and you can leave us a message on our voicemail at 623-242-2450. And of course, as always, we'll remind you of these two ways at the end of the episode, because I'm pretty sure you're going to hear something today that you're like... Oh, oh, I got to send these guys a message. What the? Oh. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that, especially after today's show, because we've got a couple of big announcements. Well, first of all, the big thing is it's our anniversary show. It's uh, two years today. That's right. Two years. I mean, I, it feels like only yesterday. It yeah, really yeah. does, Mark. It does. We were discussing this earlier, and, and uh, you know, it feels like we've only been doing it for a, a couple of days, or at least if you were to judge by the progress and how much better we've gotten at doing this, it's been a couple of days. That, that's absolutely right. The magic is there, and there's just no magic in the show, though. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, two years, man, that's a long time. In the podcasting world, that's like 50 years, so that that's pretty good. Yeah, we're like double dog dog years. I mean, it's just it's insane when you really think about how many shows have come and gone in just a short period of time and how many shows people wish would have come and gone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, this might be one of them. Uh, yes. So, so yeah, we actually we do have another special announcement uh, considering our new sponsorship, and that was uh, I don't know if you could hear it, Matt, when I played the intro, but Nicole recorded a new intro uh, for us that includes our new sponsors. If you want to tell people who it is, that's right. Well, our brand new sponsor. We're so excited about this because it's like one of those if you can't beat them, join them, and they decided to join along with us. But I don't know, are they beating us or are we beating them? I, I can never tell anymore. Most of the time, they're in front of us, and I think that's why this is a smart move for us, I think. I, I think so, too. We're definitely joining them. So anyway, so uh, we've been sponsored sponsored by one of the most popular, get this, folks, knitting podcasts out there. It's called Nothing Wrong With Knitting. So if you happen <laughs> to have – I love that name, don't you? It's because great. It's, it's, it's actually very clever, yeah. Yeah, so it, uh, if maybe you have a loved one who's familiar with the show, or maybe they're not, uh, but you definitely want to check it out. And I, I think we might have a promo for them. I think that was we part do. of our sponsorship deal. So we roll that beautiful footage. <laughs> that beautiful knitting footage. All right, here we go. Hi, all. This is Gerald, and I'm your knitting friend and compadre in Needlecraft. And I'm also the host of an exciting new show dedicated to knitting for us manly men and for those who love us. And it's called Nothing Wrong With Knitting. Now, every single week, we're going to be exploring what's new in knitting, and I'll have a new and exciting pattern for us to make together in our very own virtual knitter's corner. Now, you're welcome to join the discussion in our chat room, and I know for a fact that you're going to love watching all the live demonstrations on our website, where you're also going to find everything a knitter needs to know. So join us, won't you? Nothing Wrong With Knitting, brought to you by the fine makers of Ural's Yarns. Whether it's wool, cotton, or synthetic, you'll love Ural's. Check out the next episode of Nothing Wrong With Knitting at nwn.com. Well, I'll tell you what. I am going to spend some serious time catching up with the uh, the backlogged episodes of that show because it sounds fantastic. I know. I really wish I could have made it over there for one of the recent uh, demos that they had going on mm-hmm. because... Yeah, like I said, if you can't beat them, join them. And I've got a huge ball of yarn over there that uh, I'm definitely going to be working on pretty soon. <laughs> Just waiting to go. Well, you know, that's right. I can imagine the the questions now. Why in the world are 
you know, Mark and Matt getting into the world of knitting, you know, and it definitely um, justifies a little bit of explanation. So uh, mm-hmm. first of all, personally, I see a little bit of a tie in between uh, knitting. It's a natural companion to woodworking in a way. Um, you know, first of all, it requires a certain amount of creativity. You know, obviously you have to have a vision in your head or a plan or something and and you make that with your hands. It's, you know, it's just one of those types of uh, activities. Um, right. Absolutely, because as you said, you know, we use your own hands. It allows you to work with our hands. But one thing I really like about knitting is that, uh, well, especially for a guy like me, I don't have to break a sweat when I'm doing it. <laughs> and you know, the nice thing is, if you work fast enough, you can make yourself a nice little, you know, scarf or something, and you can use that to wipe off the, your brow in case you actually do break a sweat with it. Well, so. you can use it in the shop as a, a little, you know, a brow rag. That would be great. Yes, exactly. That's a fantastic idea. I should write that one down. <laughs> yeah, see that? See that? Always coming up with ideas. Now, the other thing is the the materials for knitting are incredibly cheap, the materials and the tools. So you think, you know, in woodworking, the really good tools are, are extremely expensive and you could break the bank just, you know, buying a, a couple of uh, simple tools. But in knitting, I mean, I could use a very small part of my woodworking budget and wind up with like the latest, greatest titanium alloy knitting needles that are on the market, you know, and be the envy of all my knitting friends. And uh, it doesn't cost me much. So there's quite a motivation there. Absolutely. Yeah. With, with, can you imagine that with titanium ones? I mean, you would just be like going away at it. They're nice and light. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're just spread out. Because I was thinking more like, you know, maybe you know, we could combine the two and I could like maybe I, I seen a few people in the chat room mentions like you could you could turn your own, you know, knitting needles mm, or something. That's true. You could use a really nice exotic. All the problem I'd see with that is maybe some of that oil getting off in there. But who, yeah. who knows? Maybe maybe the guys over at Nothing Wrong with Knitting would be able to point out, you know, which ones are okay and which fabrics to work with. Definitely. Or, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to so. ask him. Now, what what could you make in the shop? Let's think about that. I've just got a few ideas here. First, I would I would probably suggest the first thing I would make is an apron. Right. Yeah, I could see that. That would definitely look really, really cool because you could put as many pockets as you wanted to in it. Yeah. You could make it as bright and cheery as you wanted. Yep. In different seasons and things, you could have the different colors that match the seasons. Or, or or the different yarns and stuff for the different seasons. I mean, like a nice wool one in the True. winter when it's starting to get a little bit cooler and maybe like a nice silk or something. I don't know. Can you knit silk? Uh, I don't know, but something like that. I don't know, the- but I'm going to try. I'll tell you that much. Oh, could you imagine a silk apron? Oof. That would be slick. And slick I, I didn't mean a <laughs> luxurious. I mean, it, it would be awesome. Right. Well, you know, the one thing I was thinking is I know a lot of our listeners, we, they always talk about rust problems, whether it's with their table saws or especially for myself, I run into problems with planes getting rusty. So you could knit yourself a nice cozy for those planes and you wouldn't have to worry about it so much because they would be nice mm-hmm. and tucked away. And if they bang together, you know, you don't have to worry about all the damage because they're in cozies. That's <laughs> true. Now, you know, actually, this one came from uh, Chris Schwartz. He, he gave me this idea. I thought it was awesome, so I wanted to share it. What about knitting a, a soft a softainer, you would want to call it? You know, Festool puts all their stuff in those hard cases that they call sustainers, but why wouldn't you want to protect the outside of your hard case as well with something soft? So how about knitting a big case that goes around your, your, your sortainers and sustainers, and we would just call it a softainer? That's a great idea. And on top of it, with that extra cushion in there, when you're rolling this around in the shop, if you bump it up against the wall, you bump it up against each other, it deadens the noise. Totally. You know, especially in, in house shops, like basement shops and stuff. There you go. It's an issue. It so is. So definitely. Yep. At first, when you said softainer, that you had mentioned <laughs> that, I was thinking of a retainer. And I'm like, dude, that's kind of gross, putting that in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not in your mouth. That'd be a bad idea. Now, you know, we also have a, a little clip here. Tom gave us his uh, contribution because he he's frankly getting into this as well. I think it's something that's going to really catch on. So uh, let's listen to Tom's tip a little early in the show this time. All right. Tom's tips. 
That's right, I said Tom's tips. I didn't say Tom's lips. I said Tom's tips. Hello, everyone. It's Tom Iavino from Tom's Workbench, and it's time for another one of Tom's tips. There's nothing I find quite as relaxing as sitting for a spell and knitting in my workshop. The only problem? The fuzzy yarn has this nasty habit of getting full of splinters if it touches my shop floor. The easy solution, stash your ball of yarn in a plastic shopping bag while you knit. It keeps the yarn easy to get out of the bag and saves your fingers from splinters. Knitting without slivers, how relaxing. If you want to discover more clever, useful, or even somewhat coherent tips, check out my blog at tomsworkbench.com or visit any of the other great blogs that belong to the Wood Whisperer Network at TWWnetwork.com. Tom always has something very clever for us. And, you know, I just, I thought we can close this, this, you know, segment out with uh, anybody who's a child of the eighties or, you know, at least was a paying attention to movies in the eighties will recognize this and this will close it out nicely for us. I think. It's like you're unraveling a big cable knit sweater that someone keeps knitting and knitting and knitting and knitting and knitting and knitting and knitting. Well, there you go. One of my favorite <laughs> movies, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And yeah, I don't think we had anyone fooled with this, but uh, that was our, our attempt at a really bad April Fool's joke. Well, that was a joke. I was serious, though. So I'm, <laughs> I'm right. going to make a cozy. I've got some stuff over here because you know I don't get to get in the shop that often anymore, so I might as well, while I'm sitting on my butt, make something for the shop. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, you know, we, we've got to like counteract this with something incredibly uh, incredibly woodworky, manly, earthy type thing. I don't, I don't know if we have anything that can actually save us from what we just did, but <laughs> we could certainly try. Yeah, let's give it a shot at least. We we got to redeem ourselves. I think I was looking at the numbers of viewers and it dropped from like, you know, like the mid 70s down to 2, me and you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um you know what? Uh let's let's just jump right into the regular show here. Um uh, first of all, anything on the workbench or are you still um going through that that spring slump? Um I am a little bit in the in the slump, but I, I actually got two new tools that I'm so excited about. Um, one is it's one of them, them like egg beater, not an egg beater type uh, dr- hand drill, but the, uh, the the brown ones. Look, I'm a hand tool user and I can't even think of what you call the thing. You push down and then it spins around. Yeah. Um, the only like reason I can't thing. remember it is because you can't remember it. That's right. <laughs> but anyways, I got one of those when we were visiting my grand, my grandmother and they were big antique collectors and they had them all over the wall and stuff like that. And since my grandfather passed, I snagged as many of them off the wall as I could. And there was two things up there. There was that, and a draw knife and i'm like what the hell yeah wow <laughs> so i snagged that and i've been playing with the draw knife in my shop and i really like it and i've managed twice now to save myself from a severe cut so <laughs> jeez okay <laughs> you'd learn a little bit more on that but that's that's pretty much the extent of what's been going on uh for me i actually i, I should mention a long time ago i had mentioned on my show that i was going to do a kind of a i don't know if you want to call it a tool review or whatever but i was going to get some of the low end economic type planes that we talk about like buck brothers uh-huh. uh foot and stuff like that and my goal is once i get back from my class with chris shorts at the end of this month um i was planning on taking the knowledge that i get from him and putting it all into this and how to set one up and show you how horrible it is or maybe not so horrible to set up one of these economic planes and get you up and running and show you, you know, maybe what's the difference between 
the economic and then going with kind of a high-end one and maybe help you to decide if it's actually worth the money. But sure. that's a long ways down the road, folks. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually, uh, a couple months ago, picked up a Buck Brothers and I'm holding on to it, waiting for an opportunity to do exactly what you're talking about, a segment about how good can I get this thing to perform and and hopefully show that you can get a, 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 some decent shavings out of what would be considered you know a budget tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. What I want to see is do me a favor. When you go to do it, start with uh, – and I, I want us to compare our, our Buck Brothers planes to the bottoms. Take a nice straight edge, <laughs> put it up go. there. I want to see how different these things are because the one I have right now, it, uh, my cat has less of a hunch in his back when he's upset than this <laughs> thing does. It is all over the place. I'm really curious to see if, you know how bad these are in general. Yeah. Well, chances are if yours is that far off, there's you know that much of a degree of variability from box to box and you know batch to batch of these things. So um, yep. yeah, I'll measure mine and, and let you know what it is. That's uh, well, I, that that would definitely be a, a bad way to start <laughs> if you're going to be tuning <laughs> yeah. this thing up. So yeah. Well, I'm going to start out with the uh, the uh, full-on grinder, and we're going to remove the first quarter inch. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, sometimes you got to do the drastic to it. But, uh, um, you know, in my shop, it's been uh, pretty low-key. I've been working on that hall frame and uh, was, I won't say a screeching halt, but had slowed down significantly as I'm trying to uh, photograph it for the article and film it, but also um, solve the the problems that I have in trying to build it and reproduce this thing in the first place. Uh, which would be hard enough if I didn't have to keep everything ready to take a picture at a moment's notice. Um, right. So that's been slowing me down a little bit, but not not a significant amount of progress coming out of my shop, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I saw a post the other day. I think we, you, you were asking whether the... Uh if the, the, the was it John Hall, the one that made the mirror, mm-hmm. if he yep. was drunk when he was doing it? <laughs> ah, yeah, that actually, that was one of today's... Uh, every every uh, Twitter post I made today was an April, Fool, uh, April Fool's post, so... Uh, I said things like um, that I'm switching, I'm getting rid of all my Macs and switching to PCs. I said something about um, uh, waxing my legs, uh, you know, that that John Hall must have been drunk when he made this frame. And uh, Kelly Clarkson's newest album is fantastic. And uh, Ah, Kelly Clarkson! (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I had plenty of, uh, of goofy things to say today, and that was one of them. Well, you know, actually, I agreed with you on the Kelly Clarkson thing, but that's just between you and me and our 70,000, 80,000 people with us right now. So don't tell anybody, okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So around the web, what do we have going on here? These are a couple cool things you threw into the list here, if you want to cover yeah. those. Sure. Now, the the first one I came across this, you know, uh, I subscribe to the uh, This Old House uh, blog, and they come up with some neat stuff once in a while. And, of course, they have a lot of stuff that I'm like, whatever, moving on. Uh, but recently there was a website that came up. It's called ToolCritic.com. It's still kind of new. I haven't really had a chance to hang out there quite a bit. But essentially what they have up there is it says that these are – this is a website that you can go to, and it's all user-generated reviews for all sorts of tools. And if you head on over there, they've got just about everything, all sorts of different categories, mainly power tools we're talking about here. They're asking people to kind of get your reviews up there. Um, and apparently there's actually a thing going on that says that uh, if you post five reviews, you can get a free T-shirt. Now, oh. I don't know how true that is, but um, yeah, it's definitely, it's kind of interesting. I noticed one or two of them, I think after so many reviews, they kind of take an average of all those different user reviews and give it a grade. And then they say like, you know, okay, well, this, these five or six that have been up there uh, average out to about a B. So it's kind of a neat thing. So I don't know how manufacturers want to gab it up about how great their stuff is, but sometimes when we talk to our friends, it turns out not so great. So this is kind of a, kind of a neat thing. No, so. it looks pretty cool. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over there and review five different size roundover bits 
and get my free T-shirt. <laughs> that way, uh, you know, I don't have to work too hard for it. I like that idea. That's really, really good. Let me think about what I can do. Some drill drill bits. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, five different size drill bits. Same brand. I mean, you just pop the same review down all the way. Five, you're done. You got your shirt. Yep, there you go. Or or you could do five different manufacturers of those drill bits and just be like, I use a quarter inch on this one from this manufacturer and the quarter inch, and I got the same holes. So <laughs> There you go. You're very hey, familiar with it. You know, interestingly enough, Kaleo just showed up in the chat room, and he's. Uh, I think he showed up naked because I, I announced that it would be a all-nude uh, Wood Talk Online tonight, and uh, I, he's like the, the naked guy that walks into a party thinking everyone else is going to be naked, but it's just him. That's awesome. <laughs> I had my eyes closed because I definitely did not want to see anybody naked. So, Cleo, go put a, go put a towel on or something, buddy. <laughs> oh, boy. Nudity is good fun. Okay. Uh, you want to grab that second one there, too? Yep, absolutely. I don't know if anybody's familiar or how many people are familiar with toolcrib.com, another really neat blog. And they always have some kind of funky thing up there that's like, you know, 10 reasons why to use spools or right, stuff right, like right. that. Yeah, they're actually well, they a really have- good site. Yeah, yeah. In fact, actually, they have one up right now that I was going to mention was there was a debate going on, a topic that was all about six inch joiners versus eight inch. And that's a common topic that we get going once in a while. Mm -hmm. But the one that caught my eye was they just recently had 10 free wooden bike plans uh, available if you want to check it out. And these are pretty, they go from like a high end, like just amazing aerodynamic frame, you know, for a road bike to something that looks like I built in Cub Scouts back in the third grade. So <laughs> I'm looking at the picture on the, the front of the, the post there is pretty impressive. I mean, it's, it's a lot of sculpting is going to have to go on there. Yeah. I'm thinking, um, rasp or, yeah. um, sandpaper, yeah, not or... a beginner project. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Definitely well, that, that could be an interesting one. That's for sure. Maybe drive them right out and put them in a knitting. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, I got a couple things in the mail if we want to do a uh, what did Mark Ooh. get in the mail this week segment. Yeah, let's do that. I love this one. And uh, these actually, there's really nothing terribly exciting here, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. Uh, in the Daryl Peart class that I took, we we used one of these little square templates. And really, we were focused on these little tiny guys down here and tracing out the shape and using that to put the square ebony pegs into uh into the piece of furniture so these were very handy and they've got little hash marks on all sides so basically if you have like a set of crosshairs indicating the center point uh, of where that particular peg should go you line those up with the crosshairs on the template trace it out and you've got your uh, your location set it's actually a very cheap and very handy thing if you don't already have one Nice. And, you know, I was uh, in doing the, the hall frame, I was laying everything out on the dining room table and trying to get the orientation of the pieces set. And the problem is there's nothing, nothing straight or square on this frame anywhere. So reverse engineering that and trying to come up with a plan that people can do with square straight lumber is actually really tricky. So what I was trying to do is, is draw some square lines and make these things fit into it. And I realized that I was lacking a very large plastic drafting triangle. And uh, so now I have a big plastic triangle that I ordered. Holy cats. Look, is that isosceles or not isosceles? I don't know. You know what? I, the, I, I There was a day when I knew that crap and today isn't it because <laughs> I purposely made myself forget things like that. I'm right there with you. That's why let's, I had to ask. Yeah, let's look it up. Someone in the chat room, I'm sure, will know that. Okay. And the, the last thing that I actually got was a buffing wheel. And this is another thing that is uh, – uh, Daryl Peart's fault is uh, basically when you're when you finish off those ebony 
pegs, you buff the heck out of the, the face of them to a, a beautiful, beautiful shine. And what we used for that was a nice buffing wheel that goes into a 8-inch grinding wheel, dealy, whacker. And uh, you just put a little bit of uh, the polishing compound on the front and jam that sucker in there. And the next thing you know, you got a, a, a shiny ebony plug. So I figured I was overdue to get one of those as well. Nice. So you've got Buffy the Peg Slayer. Buffy the Peg Shiner. Yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, not a very exciting week of, of purchases, but um, I'm not exactly, you know, I don't like to spend money every week <laughs> if I can help it. <laughs> yeah, well, that beats the heck out of having things come in the mail like uh, this bill is overdue. Yeah, or uh, we'll return this. Or we just got uh, we just got back from getting our taxes done this past week, which was fantastic. I was walking funny out of my accountant's office. If you that's can, funny, so were we? <laughs> yeah, if you can imagine why. Um, so yeah, try not to spend too much. All right. Well, we do have a good number of voicemails here, and a couple left over from last week, actually. Um, so I, I think we'll we'll start with Frank's, and Frank has a question regarding essential hand tools, and. Sounds like Frank has a, uh, a history of power tools and he's looking to uh, find out what he needs to buy in the world of hand tools. So let's take a listen to uh, Frank's voicemail. Hey, this is Frank David from Avon, Indiana. I have a hand tool question for you. I've been a self-taught power tool user for, uh, let's just say, Mork and Mindy were still producing new episodes. Being an engineer, I look for the most efficient way to get a job done. Thanks to you guys. I'm now reevaluating the choices I've made. Well, in woodworking at least. <laughs> anyway, it's clear that the best choice for me now is to mix both power and hand tools. I have only a few hand tools which have been neglected. I have all the standard power tools that I build furniture with. If I couldn't use a power tool, I wouldn't make that design. So my first question is, with the mountain of hand tools I see in catalogs or online, what do you consider to be the essential hand tools? Secondly, which grade of tools should I buy to get started with? Cost is always a factor in hobbies, so what's the actual difference when using a $10 chisel versus a $60 chisel, for example, besides the price, of course? Thanks. Uh, keep up the good work. Love is a show. Bye. Okay, so Frank is looking to uh, pick up his first or initial set of hand tools. He wants to know uh, what would we consider to be the essential hand tools and also the grade. You know what? And I don't know if that was a little low for the people in the chat room. If it was, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but what what grade of tools? Obviously, you know, you can go the Lee Nielsen route or you can go to Lowe's and just pick a few things up. So uh, right. what, what say you, Matt? Okay, well, first of all, the let let's skip over the uh, the the grade part right now sure. uh, because that that one really that that is a very passionate thing. People go back and forth. The the one thing I it's so hard to pick what is the essential hand tools because this question's come up before about even what are the essential tools that you need to get started, and that really varies. But I always recommend uh, the, the things. Definitely, you have to have some chisels in basic sizes. I always say is like you know quarter, three eighths, half inch. Start with those and then, you know, build up from there. If you want to get the full set of like six, hey, go for it or seven mm -hmm. or however many you can get. Another thing I always recommend, you have to have a decent block plane. That's that's a given. I think that's even true for anybody that's a big power tool user. Yeah. A block plane at some point will, will definitely save your bacon, you know, sure. at any time. Um, I, I recommend 
going with, and this again, kind of back and forth between a lot of people, but I recommend going with a number five jack plane, kind of a middle of the road. You can set it up to be a smoother. You can set it up to do a little bit of jointing, but I think it's a really good starter plane to get, get yourself going with. A lot of people say a number four, but you're limited because of the size. It's a little too short to be doing some some of this basic joining work that a, a jack plane can actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's really where I would start. Other people would tell you, you know, you got to get some some saws and stuff like that. But I say get yourself familiar with your chisels. Get yourself familiar with a, a good hand plane. And from there, you will actually find that's the perfect base to start going off elsewhere. If you feel you have to have a saw, Nothing like a good cross-cut panel saw will, will definitely help you out, or maybe even like a, uh, a rip-style dovetail saw. Other than that, you're starting to get into like you know stuff that you really don't need to be into as you're getting your feet first wet. Um, like I said, people are going to definitely have a, a longer list than what I had, but those are ones I always recommend to people that that's where you start. So Sure, yeah. I actually, um, I, as far as the absolute essentials, I think you nailed it. I don't think you can do much better than just chisels and a block plane. Uh, but if you're looking to add on from there, there's kind of two paths that you can take, at least the way I see it. One is, okay, I'm going to get more into these uh, hand tools. I'm going to start doing things with hand tools that I used to use my power tools for, and that seems to be when you need to get more into a traditional set of uh, of the larger planes, a smoothing plane and you know, uh, joiner plane and things along those lines. But then there's also another route that you can take, which is more the way that I've personally gone, is to go into some of the specialized tools that will make your life easier as a power tool user. So things like uh, a flush trim saw, uh, things like a um, a router plane, um, you know, a rabbit plane, a shoulder plane. Those are the things that are going to actually make your your power tool generated joinery a little bit tighter and a little bit better because it's not relying it on it completely. You're not making it from scratch, but you are uh, sort of finessing the fit of those things. So depending on which way he's interested in going, there may be a few others that he could tack on to that, uh, you know, the block plane and the chisel list. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, I love that idea about the router plane because as we've pointed out before, I know you've mentioned it in some of your videos that you know you, you do a dado and we like to think that it's nice and flat all the way down, but there's that variation and nothing will get that dado dead, you know, dead perfect all the way across something as a router plane. It just it works so great. Sure. Yeah, sure. And, and being able to, you know, finesse the, the uh, anything with the power tool definitely. Now, when it comes to the the grades, which one do you go with? Do you go with hmm. El Cheapo? Do you go with L, you know, um, uh, senior high up there in the uh, the villa or something like yeah. that? And this to me is one of those. You go with what makes you feel comfortable. I there's a reason why these high end tools are so expensive, and that's from what I've seen. They're as close to being ready to come out of the box and use as anything I've ever run into. What you have to do with them the second you get them out of the box, you still have to touch them up just a little bit. Usually the iron. Majority of the time the bodies are ready to go, but eventually you'll find that. That's what you know. You really want to pay for is that convenience thing because you just want to get into it. You don't want to have to worry about as hopefully we'll, we'll I'll show in the, uh, the the video coming up maybe with our Buck Brothers how bad it can really be. <laughs> you know, yeah. to get yourself up and running. Yeah, and you don't want to. I, I hate coming across like that. Like, oh, well, you know, this is really if you really want to have the best experience, you need to spend uh, two hundred and fifty bucks on a block plane. I mean, you can really tune up some of these older block planes, and uh, it's the. I think the question is though. Sometimes these days, it's hard just to get the old ones. You know, if you're trying to yep. to get one of these on eBay or find one at a flea market, people people know that these are worth something now. So it's not like it used to be. 
And, you know, so the question is, and I think that's a great way for you to go with, um, you know, with the show and looking at what can you do with a new inexpensive plane? Can you actually do something and make it serviceable uh, so that you don't have to go out and, and spend a, a good amount of money on one of these, um, you know, something from Lee Valley or Lee Nielsen or, you know, one of these other high end makers? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my favorite smoother that I have right now is don't tell Lee Valley this, but it happens to be my, my old Stanley that I, I bought at my local flea market. In fact, I, I fought a, I fought a guy for it and I'm like, dude, this is mine. He's like, no, it's mine. I'm like, look at that over there. <laughs> and I took it and I ran. Yeah, well, I paid for it go. first. Then I <laughs> nice. That's the way to do it. Well, you know, and that's the thing. I, I mean, I, I will definitely say the first time I got my hands on a, um, a Lee Nielsen block plane was definitely an eye opening experience of what a high quality, you know, perfectly flat sole can can be like, you know, on a tool. And just the, the heft of the tool itself is something that just, uh, it just helps you work better. And it actually, it, you know, I think it actually cuts better. So uh, that's mm-hmm. why I have those tools. But the, the truth is you can, you can survive on, on some of the cheaper tools. But I think in the beginning, if you don't have a properly tuned tool, and especially if it's a little less expensive, you have to work a little harder to get it there. If it's not properly tuned, you may get a false sense of how difficult hand tool work is because you're constantly mm-hmm. getting tear out or you're not getting the results you're looking for. So um, definitely would recommend at least go to like a woodcraft or something, go to a store and get some hands on with those tools so you know what the difference is and you could decide for yourself if it's worth spending that extra money. Right. And on top of it, actually, if, even if you choose not to go with those ones, you have an idea of what you should be uh, feeling as you actually use the other ones. So, you know, as you're getting them in tune, you know, oh, this, this is, this is how it's going to cut. Not like, not like a chatter, like, oh, that's horrible. It's like a nice smooth effect. And and that brings up another thing. When you get a new tool, even if it's a high-end one, um, you got to emphasize the fact that you need to sharpen the blade. They, Mm -hmm. they come, you can get them pre-sharpened, but there's just something still about the fact that you just need to, you need to hone it. You need to get your hands on it and, and get it going. And you definitely get the results. Cause I know I've heard from a few people that are like, I bought this, this plane or a chisel and it's not, it's not working right out of the box. Well, I hate to tell you this, but (laughs) I did the same thing myself. I got really frustrated and said to hell with these things and threw them aside. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to sharpen them. And that's another thing I know, uh, with both of us, we were using the, the blue marples chisels. If I was I just going to say, yeah, we need to talk about chisels too. Yep, yeah, and th- that's one of those that um, you you really don't have to spend a lot of money to get something really decent. But don't be fooled by going with something that's like super super cheap uh, because you can get burned on that. I, I I am a middle of the road when it comes to chisels. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I definitely don't want to break the bank, but at the same time, I'm not, you know, just throwing out some change I found on the ba- bottom of my car. Yeah. I've got a set of marples that work really well. Um, there was, ooh, I can't remember the issue, but Woodworking Magazine had a very straightforward review of chisels, and they talked about some of the cheaper, less expensive brands and compared them. Some were absolute garbage, but some really performed well. Um, so if someone, if, if we could find that or if someone can give us the link to that or something, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but it's a woodworking magazine article that I thought was uh, done really well. Okay, Excellent. we got another voicemail. We got a couple more, so we actually need to get moving here. Uh, oh, yeah. This one's from Roberto, our good buddy Roberto, and he's got a question concerning uh, sheet goods. Hey, guys, how's it going? This is Roberto calling from Albuquerque. I have a question concerning sheet goods. I just put the finishing touches on a king-size bed that I made, and it's a platform bed, and I'm going to need two pieces of uh, sheet goods, plywood or MS, MFD or anything like that, uh, to support a box spring and a mattress. My question to you is, should I use MDF, 
plywood, particle board, AC plywood. I'm kind of limited to what they have at the the big box stores, you know, the Home Depots and the Lowe's. So if you guys could steer me in the right direction, I figured something that would, you know, wouldn't break under a lot of stress. So let me know. Bye. Okay, I would definitely stay away from, you know, things like MDF and particle board. Uh, there's really no structural, sh- you know, strength in there. Um, mm-hmm. It's just dust and chips glued together. So uh, if he's going to do, yeah, and if he's going to do something like that, definitely some sort of apply, you know, that has a little bit of structural integrity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that- that's a you know, pretty straightforward question, but I, I don't know if we can go into any more depth. I would say if he's going to use a sheet good, go with a plywood. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that 100%. And to be honest with you, it doesn't matter whether it's like AC or a nice, you know, birch or something that you get from the home center. The bed's going to be on top of it anyways. So, yeah. you know, you don't have to worry too much. The one thing I was, when I was first listening to that, I was like, now, our good friend Roberto has some great questions and everything. And I don't want to assume that he's not thinking this, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he's also assuming that he's going to put something underneath to help support that if it's a king size um, you're going to need something there in the middle other than just the sheet good. So I'm assuming right. that he's also going to do that because uh, otherwise you, you pull a mat and then you're like, hey, look at this. Oh! <laughs> you fall <laughs> through the middle. <laughs> yeah, that would not be good. Well, and I guess the other thing is Kaleo brings up a good point. Um, you know, if you do decide to use something like MDF, you, you sure better have something very torsion box-like in terms of the structure because then you can support the, the weight properly and, and you don't have any one member um, holding that much of the, you know, the, the bulk of the weight of the bed. So, um, it right. is possible, but in all likelihood, he's probably not doing that type of a structure. So I would, I would still go with the plywood. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for uh, throwing that out there, Kaleo and put a towel on buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put a towel on man. What is your problem? Okay. Uh, we got a couple more here. Let's go to Dean's voicemail and, uh, he's looking for a recommendation and this, you know, this would be a good one for the chat room. And I'll tell you ahead of time so you guys can start thinking about it. He's asking about a recommendation for a big router. So let's hear Dean's question. Hey, Mark, Matt, this is Dean. Um, I contacted you guys a while back about trying to figure out how to uh, level out my benchtop drill press and make make it perpendicular to the drill bit. Uh, Just to follow up on that. Um, I was actually able to come up with a really nifty solution um, using one of the Wixi digital angle gauges. It's uh, accurate to one-tenth of a degree, so that worked out really good. Uh, I also have a question. Um, I'm on looking for a uh, router to install in my um, router table that I'm building. Uh, I've got my eye on the big uh, Porter cable one, I believe it is, the three-and-a-quarter horse. Um, so that's what one idea I, I'm looking at, and I didn't know what you guys thought. And I'm also looking for a laminate trimmer, and I've looked at the, uh, the Bosch Colt. It's a little one-horsepower one. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on what you thought of that or if you have any uh, other recommendations. Keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Okay, good question. You know, now this is something that seems to change all the time. If I uh, stay out of it for, you know, six months or more and I don't pay attention to the world of router uh, reviews and what people <laughs> think of them, it seems like what was good is is no longer considered good stuff anymore. Um, yep. So I actually have a Porter cable, the exact one he's talking about, the Speedmatic. 
And I had a speed controller problem on that and had to get it repaired. It cost me like 70 or 80 bucks or something like that. Uh, and it has a, a, it's notorious actually, that particular model for having that problem. So if I were to buy again, I would probably avoid the Porter cable for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. I would definitely say take a look at the Triton. I hear nothing but great things about that unit. And the I've been hearing a lot of good things about Milwaukee lately, just in terms of other people's opinions and reviews. Yeah, I, I've heard the same thing. Uh, I had a chance to visit a, a, a local uh, a tool supplier recently. It just opened up here in Muskegon, and um, that was one of the things I was talking with them. And I was kind of walking around. I'm like, I know you got DeWalt, you got this, and I'm like, which one would you absolutely recommend and why? And Milwaukee was the name that popped up. He's like, if if it's possible to get the tool in, in a Milwaukee brand, I say go for it. And he said the main thing was the, the service was just amazing. Hmm. And he said most of the time they didn't need the service, but when they do, uh, they get the parts there immediately so that they, they get the item turned around and back out to the user in no time at all without any any conflict. So, oh, cool. You know, I figured that, that was something pretty neat. Definitely. You know, I, I hate to admit it. I'm one of those guys that I've always been the person that, you know, when it comes down to like stuff like, you know, uh, guns and cars, people are like, yeah, you know, check out that model over there. I'm like, yeah, that sure is blue. You know, <laughs> and, and so that I'm kind of the same way with like tools. I'm like, you know, everybody's like naming everything off and they know the specific models. And I'm like, well, I know that manufacturer, but yeah. I don't know the model numbers. And, you know, and, and it's not so much because of my fascination with hand tools or anything. I just never really kind of gotten into that. But, um, yeah, that that's definitely uh, routers. I mean, they change every single time you turn around. There's a new one out and yeah. topping yeah. other ones. So, yeah, they, they change like People should change their underwear. Mm, should, yeah. Should, at le- at should. least once every six months. Um, yes, inside out. <laughs> now, the uh, the other one that I've heard things about, and this is a little more sketchy, this is only a couple people I've heard uh, raving about it, but I haven't heard anything bad, is uh, Rigid's offerings. So at least uh, they're probably going to be a little bit more budget-friendly, so take a look at them. And, right. uh, you know, I also saw someone mention the Festool routers uh, in the chat room, and here's the reason why I don't recommend them is because they won't fit. Uh, in most router tables. And I've got some of the, you know, I pretty much have every Festool router. And unfortunately, the way the base is configured, it's meant to fit in their router uh, table, which isn't in the U.S. yet, unfortunately. So you can't really, unless you cobble something together, unless, and and, and again, unless something changed in the last, you know, five or six months, uh, last time I looked into it, you could not get that router into a router table. So nice. That that's a good point. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, the cool. other thing he asked about was laminate trimmers. Now, um, didn't you pick a laminate trimmer up recently? Yeah, I had an uh, an episode a while ago, um, and I did use a rigid uh, laminate trimmer. Really, really liked it. Um, I was really impressed with. It. I mean, they had like a soft start and everything. Not thing. Not something I would be thinking about with a little laminate trimmer. I mean, to me, a laminate trimmer is like. You know, it's just just a, a motor with a, a plug. You know, they're just getting ready to roll. But I, I really, really liked it. And in fact, actually, I was really hesitant to return it to the person I borrowed it from because I didn't want to. <laughs> so <laughs> I've thought about getting one for myself, but I, I kind of limited on what I would actually use it for. So it's like one of those: Do I want to make the plunge? Yeah, router, and then <laughs> go from there, or you know, what do I want to do? But I really, really liked that that rigid one. I was very impressed with it. Oh, good. Um, I actually have the Bosch that he he mentions. That one has been great. Uh, another one to look at if you're looking for the higher end of the market, of course, is Festool's new offering. It's um, what is it? The MFK seven hundred. Okay. Um, the only thing I will warn you about with that one is the fact that you can't see the bit. 
Um, that to me, in some cases, is a problem because a lot of times I like to do a, a hinge mortise, for instance. I like to hog out the bulk, get really close to the line, and just come back with a chisel, straighten everything out, and you're done. Very, very quick work. And I could see the bit with the, the Bosch base, but I can't see the bit on the Festool base. The Festool base isn't designed for you to see it. It's designed to be, you know, really, really good with dust collection and also to be versatile with two or three different bases that they offer. So it's a, it's a really good uh, system. It just makes sure it's going to work for exactly what you want to do before you invest the money. Um, you know, there's a lot of things it can do that the Bosch can't. But uh, if one of the things you want to do with that laminate trimmer is actually see the bit working, you're going to have a problem if you go for the Festool. Right. Yeah, that's a great point because that is one thing I did like about the, uh, the the rigid is it was definitely wide open enough where I, I could see that everything was going on because one thing I was thinking with a laminate trimmer, trimmer is like – I'm like that would be a really neat one for doing inlays because it's small enough. You mm-hmm. can really control it with one hand, move it along. You can do everything else where – you know, a big monstrous router on like something that you're trying to do some delicate work. Just, yeah. you know, that, that just, that's like picking daisies with a backhoe. <laughs> just- <laughs> you know what though? Incidentally, I will, I will admit, I always tell people, and this may just be me, but there's, I've had a few people agree with me. Um, I find it better and easier to use a bigger, heavier router for inlays than a smaller, lighter router. It's just, yeah, I- um, stability is the main reason. You know, I could kind of see that. I mean, it's the same thing with like with a smoothing plane. It's one huge advantage of like one of those monstrous infill planes, which are uh-huh. just it's like trying to move a mason brick over a, <laughs> a you know a piece of wood. Right. And that's the thing is it really helps you to help you know push it through. So yeah. I I can see that, but man, <laughs> yeah, it's a little it's a little counterintuitive initially when you think about it. But uh, if you actually try it in hand, it, it does seem to be a little bit more stable when you use the bigger guys. Right. Okay, another question we have here from uh, from David, and it's about sanding plywood. Hey guys, David Buffalette uh, calling here. Just wanted to start by saying that when I came across your Wood Talk Online podcast, I said to my wife, what kind of a dork would listen to two guys talking about wood in a podcast? Well, after uh, listening to 52 straight episodes, I guess it officially makes me a woodworking dork, so... Uh, keep up the great work. Great podcast is very enjoyable um, and entertaining, as well as uh, useful in, as far as the information you're giving us. Um, question I had would be utilizing uh, like hardwood plywood, say oak or maple plywood for projects. How much sanding would you do, and, and do you have to be careful? Um, I'd imagine they have to be careful because of the, uh, the the layer of the hardwood is pretty thin. So just, I guess I'm just asking what kind of sanding do you do? Do you just start like right with a 150, go to 180 or, or what do you guys suggest there? Keep up the good work and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks. I think David just called us dorks. You know, my wife does it all the time, so I'm I'm rather <laughs> used to it. You know, if he's thinking, you know, who's the dorks that are listening to this? Think about the who's the dork that started it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're just one big collection of wood geeks, and uh, I think we're all should be proud of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud of the fact that we should get T-shirts made up of it. We're yes, wood geeks. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so David wanted to know about sanding plywood, and this right. is something that will drive you up a wall if you're too aggressive, because uh, plywood today is made with such thin veneer. That it's it's it takes nothing, you know, very little effort to burn through it and to expose, you know, the the layer underneath. Um, mm-hmm. I find that if you buy a higher quality material, and I know Matt, you just started getting into buying a higher quality ply. 
um, you, it's a little bit more forgiving. You got a little bit more of a, a thicker layer there. But the bottom line is most ply, when you get it, it's pre-sanded. Now, the question is, what condition is it in since it's been sanded? And if it's still in decent condition, you should really, at the most, you know, give it a light sanding with 220 uh, or 180 just to touch it up a little bit. And that's it. Uh, if you have to do more than that, that's when you need to be careful and really be picky when you're at the store. If you have the luxury uh, to pick a sheet that does not have any dings, scratches, or anything in the face that you're going to have to sand out, you know, because you just don't want to work that surface too long. Right. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more with it. That's that's the one thing I fear the most is when I have to do something with a home center plywood, yeah. especially now. It's yeah. I, I've I've made that mistake of sitting in one spot too long, thinking I'm just going to hit this with some 220. I'm not worried about it. I'm going to hit it with some 220, and the right. next thing I'm like. Hey, what's that red stuff showing through the bottom? Because I somehow have that red ply. Have you ever get that stuff? Have yeah. you seen that? It's just yeah, oh, and man. I know it's it's red, and I don't know if it maybe is the adhesive or if it's just the color of the wood underneath. But it's it's a major major eyesore, and definitely not something you want. So yeah, um, that's always like, hey, did you want red mahogany yeah. on this one or no? Damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's never fun. But uh, I would say just gently 180 is is usually what I go with, and I stop there. Just a very gentle 180 sanding. Yep. All right. Yeah, enough to scuff, scuff the surface and go from there. Yep, yep exactly. Um, we do actually have a real Tom's tip. And uh, yeah, is that where we're at now? Yeah. So yep. I yeah. will play that and it has to do with uh, with jigs. So let's hear from Tom. And let's hear my uh, my vocals again. <laughs> Tom's tips. That's right. I said Tom's tips. I didn't say Tom's lips. I said Tom's tips. Hello everyone, it's Tom Iovino from Tom's Workbench, and it's time for another one of Tom's Tips. Congratulations on building that new jig. It sure did make building that project easier. But the next time you need the jig, will you know what it's for and how to set it up? Before you put it away on your shelf, write the name of the jig and any important setup requirements on it with a permanent marker. This way you'll spend more time building and less time trying to figure out which way it works. If you want to discover more clever, useful, or even somewhat coherent tips, check out my blog at tomsworkbench.com or visit any of the other great blogs that belong to the Wood Whisperer Network at TWWnetwork. Yeah, I think Tom hit the uh, stop button a little early there. But uh, we know what he was going to say. I've never done that. (laughs) We know what he was going to say anyways. Um, So great tip. Thank you, Tom. If you do make jigs, it makes a lot of sense to to put the marks on there because um, I know I've done that where I thought I would know exactly what to do with it, what size piece goes in it. Uh, and then I wind up trying to use it a year later, and I can't remember exactly what I did before. So, <laughs> yeah, I did that when we moved into the new house. That was like one of those. I took these jigs with me, and I got here, and I'm like, no, "Wait a minute, what was what? What was this even for? Is this the jig, or is this the <laughs> offcut? What is this?" Right. So, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, we got another editor's tip here from Chris uh, over at Pop Woodworking, and this is a good one. Let's listen to it. This is Christopher Schwarz, Popular Woodworking Magazine, and here are some of our best tips from our shop in Cincinnati, Ohio. A free wood education. Most woodworkers know a lot more about tools than they do about wood. And that's too bad, because the more you understand the material, the easier it is to make it do what you want. To learn about wood, there are two great resources on the web that are free. The Wood Handbook can be downloaded from the Forest Products Lab at fpl.fs.fed.us. 
This huge book is a goldmine of statistics on everything from which species are rot-resistant to how much each species moves in service. The Wood Handbook is a PDF document, and you can search it for exactly the phrase or species you're looking for information on. Another great free site is Paul Hines' Exotic Wood site, which I was just recently turned on to. How did I miss this incredible site? Hines has compiled 19,000 photos of woods from all over the world. Ever wonder what monkey pod looks like? How about monkey puzzle pine? You can start searching this site by visiting hobbithouseinc.com. That's hobbithouseinc.com. Nice. You missed me. Did you see me playing air piano during that? Yes, I did. I, I was thinking the same thing as uh, Shopmonger, I think it was. It was asking about the chopsticks or who was that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do play chopsticks, yes. Um, nice. Yeah, great tip there. Great resources. We'll put those links in the show notes too because that's a very, uh, very handy thing. And uh, I have worked with MonkeyPod before. Really? Yeah. It's uh, not that That's- interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think that the name is much more interesting than the wood. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that would that would be an interesting one, y'all. So what are you working with there? <laughs> oh, MonkeyPod. MonkeyPod. Oh. Yeah, okay, sure you are. You're bananas, aren't you, buddy? <laughs> yeah. What was the, he had a theme of going there with Monkey in, in both of the woods you mentioned. Oh, I, I missed it. I'm oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was watching you play piano. <laughs> I know. it's it's It was mesmerizing, wasn't it? It, it was. was like, I was hypnotized by it. I'm like, that's like watching Barry Manilow play or something. I'm a something. regular uh, Mozart. or I was going to say Liberace, but that would put me in a bad light. Um, <laughs> all right. So we actually have another fantastic interview this uh, this show, and this one is with Jim uh, Tolpin. You guys okay. are familiar with him? Heck yeah. Uh, he is a author. And has written, I believe, uh, roughly a dozen different books on woodworking. And recently uh, started teaching at the uh, Port Townsend School of Woodworking. And you know what? Let's look. Let's see how many of these books we've heard of here. I've got a little list. He's got working. What is it? Woodworking. Why am I going crazy right now? Working (laughs) at woodworking. How to organize your shop and your business. That sounds like a great book. I haven't read that. Uh, hmm. Going Professional, A Woodworker's Guide. I do have that. Okay, uh, I should get that one. Measure Twice, Cut Once. Uh, working That's Wood. What I'm yeah, Measure Twice, Cut Once. That's actually a great <laughs> a great title for a woodworking book. Uh, working Wood, A Complete Benchtop Reference. Uh, Jim Tolpin's Table Saw Magic. Finished Carpenter's Manual. Building Traditional Kitchen Cabinets. Built-in Furniture. And the Toolbox Book. That's what he has on his website. And this is actually one of my favorites is his Woodworking Wit and Wisdom. Because I like to laugh occasionally. And, you know, a lot of times people say that those two don't go together. You either have one or the other. And I think that's why we work so well. Because <laughs> one of us is one and one is the other. <laughs> we complete the package. And uh, apparently Jim has both in, in one person there. So, um, <laughs> right. but uh, yeah, I heard something about it that the school at the Port, is it the Port Townsend School of Woodworking? Isn't that yeah. the only place that you can build a, a gypsy caravan wagon or something like that? Or, I saw that or... on his homepage. So, yeah, there may be something to that. That'd be that'd be a real pain to put that on top of the car and bring it home. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, that would be. Okay, so without further ado, we've got uh, Chris's interview here. So this is a, a full interview, but it's only about five minutes long. So you guys hang out, check it out, and we'll see you on the other end. Hi, this is Christopher Schwarz. I'm editor of Popular Woodworking Magazine and Woodworking Magazine here for Wood Talk Online. And we're here today with uh, Jim Tolpin. And I don't even know where to begin to describe 
uh, what Jim Tolpin has done or, or does now. He has written, I think, 17 books, uh, sold 750,000 copies. Uh, but not only that, he was a, a boat builder, a timber framer, uh, has written a lot of books about the uh, not-too-big house and a lot of books that woodworkers would be familiar with, in, including the Toolbox book. And now he has a, a new direction in life that's also woodworking related, and we're going to talk about that with him today. So uh, thanks for coming by, Jim. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Good to be here. Um, you know, I think a lot of people would be uh, maybe not surprised, but interested to hear that you're focusing a lot more on handwork. You are, you, after all, you wrote about becoming a professional cabinet maker and uh, really you know, how to refine that process down with your, your, your power tools to, to become someone who can build built-in kitchen cabinets, which is not generally a hand process. But you, you've sort of evolved yourself lately, and I was wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I have found um, I, maybe it's just a product of getting older and uh, having handled power tools for so long. Um, but I think it's also, uh, for me, going toward hand tools is a way for me to rediscover the joy that I originally felt in woodworking. Uh, and I feel a lot of joy through the tactile sensation of using tools that are working directly with the wood. Um, when you're using machines, you're standing back from the wood, uh, literally standing back from the wood. So uh, I just felt that uh, I wanted to get back to what really drew me toward this entire business of uh, making things out of wood, and that is making them and not manufacturing them, and it's uh, working the wood and it's not machining the wood where I'm really finding uh, a real joy again. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's great. Um, so you, uh, what are you doing with all your power tools that you had? <laughs> well, the, the school has a lot of the power tools now, and, uh, and some of my kids have uh, a lot of the power tools, and of course, when I get fed up with uh, trying to get a board flat, I run over to my uh, son's place and uh, run it through the planer. But uh, I'm getting better at uh, forcing myself to do these things by hand. But I, I do keep a few power tools in the shop. I have a bandsaw. Uh, if I was uh, deserted on a desert island, I think I would have a bandsaw with me. But uh, a little drill press and a bandsaw, and, you know, really, at this point, that's all I feel I really need to do the kind of woodworking that I'm doing for fun. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot of people call the uh, the bandsaw the Neander Buddy, and uh, it's kind of the one Neanderthal power tool accessory you can you can get away with and still be still be pretty pure. Um, yeah, I've always thought that the, the bandsaw would be the one thing I'd keep, and then after that, it'd probably be the jointer. I think the jointer is pretty pretty uh, pretty useful, though. You know, some days I don't know. Jointer plane is is, is a pretty powerful tool. Well, see, we could keep that at the neighbor's house. <laughs> <laughs> so you need like a full a full garage of hand tools and a lot of friendly neighbors to, to, to be an effective uh, hand tool woodworker in the 21st uh, century. Something like that. You know, it's it's really, um, you know, really at this point in my life, I'm really doing this for fun. And, uh, you know, I, I want to get my boards pretty close to dimension before I start really playing them with the hand tool. So I, I don't see any problem with, uh, you know, jointing and planing and, and getting them to the a thickness dimension that's, pretty darn close but you know beyond that um i i i really don't like cringing every time i turn on the table saw now and here's somebody that wrote a whole book on table saws i probably shouldn't be saying this but <laughs> um 
you know, I, I feel more relieved when I can just uh, rip the board by hand. I find I actually am starting to enjoy that process. I'm really enjoying uh, finally getting my little crosscut saw working really well. I have a beautiful little panel saw that's probably 100 years old. And I'm now that it's really working the way it's supposed to, I, I really find that it's fun to crosscut a board. And Jim, before we go, tell us how people can get more information about your school. Well, the simplest way, uh, naturally, is through the World Wide Web. So we do have a, a, a pretty decent website that was developed by Tim, one of the founders. It's uh, ptwoodschool.com. Okay. Simple as that. And you can also look for the link uh, on the broadcast notes with Wood Talk Online. That'll take you right there. Okay, there you go. Jim Tolpin. And uh, sounds like everyone should be going to that website and checking it out. That the the gypsy deal thing. I want to look into that because that looks pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And like I said, um, you have to hook. Imagine if you flew in. How could you get that one in in, in carry on with you? <laughs> well, you put you, all, you put wheels on in. it. You just tow it behind you. <laughs> there, there you go. No, uh, that's uh, for our seeing eye dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I just received a challenge uh, for someone in the chat room that I can't do the rest of the the show with this roll of blue tape on my head. And, uh, and I will actually do it because the show is pretty much over. Yeah. You know what? We've got the last <laughs> laugh on them today for April's fool. Day, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, actually that's it. If you want to give them the, the contact info, we can roll our butts on out of here. No, they need to go to the beginning of the show and listen all over again if they want Good to hear idea. it. Good idea. Good idea. Okay, so well, here we go. If you want to email us or you heard something today, or maybe you have a question or comment or something, email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and leave us a message on our voicemail at 623-242-2450. And just like all the great information that you got today, you'll find them in the show notes at the uh, website, yours and mine. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. I had something witty to say that was gone again. You lost it. You lost it, dude. Well, too late now. Uh, so, hey, happy anniversary and happy April Fool's Day. And uh, I guess we'll catch everybody in a couple weeks. That's right. The same to you, buddy. And take care, everybody. And uh, we'll see you. Thanks for listening. Adios. Adios.